Hey, well, I'm so glad to be able to speak to you guys today uh, here at our Valley Campus, or maybe you're watching online. So glad that you guys are tuning in as well. We have a growing uh, body of followers online, and we just so appreciate when you guys tune in. And I just feel like God has a word for us today, but I want to just start by, by just something really, really simple. Everyone can know what this is. You all have the answer already. Do you remember for you what the first plan you had for your life was. Anyone can just remember, and just show me your hands. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you were a kid, basically is what I'm asking, right? Just throw your hand up, yes. Yeah, you know what you wanted to be. Maybe you're a little embarrassed about it. If I asked you to share, you'd say no. I'll share, because I don't care. Uh, me, I remember the first real memory of a plan for my life. I was about four years old, and my plan was to be Superman, right? Some of you guys know that. Some of you still want to do that. I I don't know if it's possible, but for me, I remember as a four-year-old, my plan was be Superman. I don't know how you do it, but for me, I put on some blue pajamas. I put red underwear over top. I tucked a pillowcase in, and I just jumped off stuff as a kid. You can ask my parents. It was so lame and so embarrassed. I would jump off stuff, hit my head and cry, and then tomorrow I'd be back at it, right? I don't know what your plan was as you had when you were a kid. How many of you guys had a plan when you were in middle school or high school? Like, you had a plan for your life. Show me your hands. Show me your hands. You had some sort of plan. Whether it worked out or not doesn't necessarily matter. You had some sort of a plan for your life. I remember for me, uh, after I gave up on Superman, I tried Spider-Man for a little bit. That was weird. And I gave up on that again. Uh, But then it started getting to be a little more real, like astronaut. I don't know if that's even close. But I remember as I was becoming older and older, a couple things that I really enjoyed and I was good at, one of them was baseball. And I wanted to be a baseball player. I'm named after a Philadelphia Philly baseball player from the 80s. Doesn't matter. But I wanted to be a baseball player. Unfortunately, my height and my skill didn't quite meet the requirement of like any baseball at all. Doesn't matter what it was. So like in high school, I was done with baseball and that was it. The other thing that I really enjoyed doing and I was really pretty good at was music. Uh, And I went to school, I went to university as a trumpet major. I was a music major for a little bit in university. And that was kind of the plan I had for my life. It really didn't pan out. I'm not playing the trumpet today. Thank Jesus. You don't need that in front of you right now. But that's what my plan was, at least, for my life. Any of you, by a show of hands, anyone else ever have a plan for your life? Probably your mom or dad or something lame like that, right? Like, anyone else have a plan for your life? I remember my dad had a plan for my life, and I remember it clear as day. This is the thing he always would tell us. Now, my dad, his plan for his life, when he was young, he wanted to be an accountant. I don't know what is the matter with you that makes you want that as a kid. But he wanted to be an accountant. And so he went to university to study accounting, failed accounting, the very first class you take, failed, F, you're not going to do it, you stink at this, became an elementary educator and was a kindergarten teacher for 35 years, right? Like my dad, I don't know how he did this, never worked a summer in his life. He never had, that's amazing, like you should get a medal for that and go on a waltz, never worked a summer in his life, but my dad always had this plan for us kids. And what he said was, guys, here's, I had two brothers, so there's three of us. And he said, I want one of you to be a carpenter. I want one of you to be an electrician. I want one of you to be a plumber. Because when I retire, I want you to build me a house and I want you to take care of me, right? And so that was his plan for my life. And my brothers and I, we always used to fight over who would be the plumber, right? Because my last name's Heine. And I just thought, man, how cool, how cool would that be to have a plumber show up and Heine's on his truck, right? And, and I had a logo made up with a thing and anyway... Like, could you imagine that? That would be, an, a man. all my crew would wear pants that sit too low, and we'd bend over a lot. Even if you didn't need us to, we would just bend over, and there you go, right? The only other thing I could have gone into was if I was a proctologist, would have been really cool, right? If you don't know what that word is, you can look it up, but if Dr. Heine will, you know, you could imagine the field I'm in. Anyway, whatever. 
You know, someone has a plan for your life sometimes, right? Maybe it's your father, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's a, a teacher or someone. And even though you might not actually walk out that plan, you could probably understand what that plan was at some level. Like if I wanted to be a plumber, I could go to school and I could follow the path. And chances are, if I really wanted to, I could stick to and follow out someone's plan for my life. If I got stuck, I could probably ask them, what do I do next? There'd be other people who knew how to do this too, and I'd know exactly how to go, and I could follow someone's plan or my own plan for my life. The thing that I get stuck on, and the thing that's hard for me though, is when I take this concept and I think about God, and I think, does God have a plan for my life? Does God have anything, any desire, any dream for me? And if he does, how do I know what that is? If God has a plan for my life, if he actually has a dream for me, if he actually has a purpose for me, is it actually possible for someone like me to know what God wants to do with my life? How do I follow that plan? One of the things I love about our church is that we have been blessed. It's God's favor. It's very little our doing. It's God's favor. We've been blessed with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new people over the last year, two years, who are coming into our church. And I love this about our church. I love that many people coming to our church are coming as maybe the very first person in their family who ever stepped foot in a church. They're coming as someone who has no spiritual background at all. They've got no idea about the story I'm about to tell you. They have no idea about the story they heard last week. They've never heard it in their whole lives, but they want to know, does God want something with my life? And whether you're here for the very first time or you've been following God for 100 years or you're somewhere in the middle like me, every single one of us is still trying to wrestle this down. What does God want with my life? What does he want from me? What's his plan? Can I know it? Can I follow it? How do you follow God's plan for your life? How do you know it? Have you ever wanted to know what God's plan was for your life? We're in a series called Genesis, and it is the very first book in the Bible, uh, and we're just kind of opening it up, and one of the things we found through the book of Genesis is it's called like a book of beginnings, you see a lot of things start. So in the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, you see God created the earth. It's a very new beginning. You see God, uh, people fall away from God, and people kind of just go against God. God chooses Noah, puts him in a boat, and starts over again. It's another new beginning. And here in the uh, book of Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look in 11 a little bit, we see the story of a man named Abraham. Abram. It's a brand new beginning again. God's going to do something new in his people through this man, Abram. And some of you might know who Abram is. You might know it even if you're not a Christ follower, you don't know Jesus at all. Like uh, may, You just might know who Abram is in the Bible. But I want to tell you a little bit about him because he is one of the most significant figures in all of Christianity. He's one of the most significant figures in the Bible. He's one of the most influential people in our belief system. In fact, the book of Genesis, it has like 50 chapters, 50 chapters that covers 20 generations, like this person gave birth to this person, this, right? 20 generations over 50 chapters, yet over a third of the book is devoted to Abraham singularly. Quite a bit of talk about this one guy when all these other things were happening. 
Abraham's going to be known in the Bible. The Bible calls him a friend of God, which I think is awesome. Like that means, you know, this. that means like if God was having a birthday party and his mom said, you can only invite 10 friends, God, and God's like, but mom, I want 11. No, I said 10. You know that Abraham's name would be on one of those invites. Can you imagine that? That would be incredible to be the friend of God. The Bible goes on and says that every single believer who ever put their faith in Christ is considered a child of this man, Abram. That's pretty big. You imagine that being said about you? Even more than that, if that isn't even cool enough just talking about the Bible, three of the world's main religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all trace their roots back to this foundational father of their faith. Do you want to know what I think the really cool thing is about Abraham? You know what I think is the most exciting thing about him? The thing I love the most about Abraham is he started out as a nobody. He started out as a nobody. Nobody cared. Not interesting at all. Not significant at all. Not great at all. I love that the only thing that made Abraham worthwhile, the only thing that made him special was God's hand made him special. God chose him to be unique. God chose him to be great. And why I love that is that there's so many of us sitting around here today. Maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching online, and you're sitting here and you come to church and you think, man, it is so cool to see God doing things in other people's lives. I'm so encouraged by seeing someone else's testimony on the screen. I love seeing people be baptized, but God, you would never want to do that for me, would you? Because I'm just a nobody. You come out and you see other people having this interaction with God and you wish that could be you at some level, but you know what you've done. You know who you are. You know those shortcomings and the faults you have and you just think you're a nobody. But here's the thing I love about God is nobodies are the very people God makes to be a somebody. And so if you feel like you're a nobody, you feel like God doesn't want anything to do with you, you you're in exactly the right place to have God do something significant in your life. Abraham's story starts out a little bit before the passage we just read. In chapter 11, it it tells the lineage of Abraham. And in chapter 12, we see God give Abraham a plan to follow for his life. He says, Abraham, I have a plan for you. Here's what it is. And we we see Abraham begin to walk that out. And as we look at the story of Abraham, we find a few principles that are going to be so important for us to, to follow and hold on to if we're asking the same question, God, what do you want with my life? How do I follow your plan for my life? The very first principle that Abraham's story is going to give us is this. It's that you need to look for, to God to speak when you least expect it. You need to look for God to speak when you least expect it. I want you to follow me for a minute because I'm about to read something to you that it's just the Bible flies by it really quick. But if we can just slow down a little bit and soak it in, it's going to make so much sense. It's going to like reveal something to you that I think is going to be pretty significant. Here's one of the biggest obstacles I've ever had reading the Bible. If this is you, you can raise your hand. One of the things I think stinks about the Bible is God has this habit of like when he's talking in the Old Testament about people, he just kind of goes on and on and on and on about whose dad was who and whose dad was who and this person begat, what's a begat? This person begat, this person begat, that person, does that hurt? Are you getting shot? I don't know what's happening, God. And and they don't have easy names. Anyone with me on that? They aren't like, they aren't like all of a sudden God made Jeff and then Jeff had a son named Frank and then Frank, and Greg got together. Like, they didn't do that at all. It's all like Artaxerxes and 
jiggle, diggle, whatever, whatever, and this thing, and like, there's no telling God, like, why are you doing that? It, it is so frustrating. If you're just starting to read the Bible, please, please, please don't start there. Please don't do it. You will be like, this is not for me. This is the worst book ever. And I would agree with you if you just look at those things, but there's something significant in this section of this person and this person and this person and this person. I want you to watch it out. I want you to check this out. And it's not gonna be on the screen. I'm just gonna read it here because there's so many like weird names. I'm not even gonna pronounce it right, so I don't want you to be like, you didn't say that right. I'm just gonna read it here. So here's how it goes. Uh, this is the descendants from Noah to Abram. There's gonna be 10. There's gonna be 10 generations. And in chapter 11, verse 10, it tells us that this is the account of Shem's family. Now, Shem was Noah's son. So Noah and the ark, if you've heard that story, gets in a boat, two of every kind, a whole earth floods, and then there you go. Noah gave birth to Shem. I want you to listen to this part. When Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad, I told you. After that, Shem lived another 500 years. Everybody say 500 years. 500 years. Can you, man, that's a good run. Dude, you're 100 years old. You have a son. You live 600 years, like 500 more years. So I just want you to have the number 500 in your head. And then I want you just to like be doing some quick math or if you have a note, write down these numbers because I want you to see how long Shem lived and then how soon his descendants starting having kids, right? And I want to just show you something with this. So Shem lives 500 more years. When his son Arphaxed was 35, he became the father of Shelah. When Shelah was 30, he became the father of Eber. When Eber was 34, he became the father of Peleg. I'm skipping over like how long these guys lived then. When Peleg was 30, he became the father of Ru. When Ru was 32, he became the father of Sarag. When Sarag was 30, he became the father of Nahor. When Nahor was 29, he became the father of Terah. And when Terah was 70, he became the father of Abraham. Why is that important? Who cares? Just follow me for a second. So if this is the life of Shem, 500 years, and then he dies. Let me do it this way. Raise your hand. Have you ever met your mom or dad? Just raise your hand. Have you ever met your parents? You met them, you know, like maybe you, I don't, maybe you haven't. I don't know, right? Okay, keep your hand in there. Keep your hand in there. Have you met your mom or dad? Right, yes, yes, yes. I see that hand online, right? Um, Keep your hand in the air if you've met one of your grandparents. You've ever met them. I don't care if you know them, just you've ever met them. Keep your hand in the air if you've ever met one of your great-grandparents. Some hands are going down. Keep your hand in the air if you've ever met one of your great-great-grandparents. Have you ever met one of your great-great-great-grandparents, right? Like, man, do you know that? Like, for me, the furthest I can remember in my family's tree is my great-grandmother, Olive. What a beautiful name for a great-grandmother, Olive. This was the scariest woman on earth, right? She was, I have no idea. I saw a picture of her, and she was like 18. It was like, man, she was a good-looking girl, right? But at 90-something, man, like, she was the lady who took her false teeth halfway out and chattered them together. She ate a stick of butter for breakfast. Like, it was crazy, man. She scared the heck out of me. I'm so glad I didn't know anybody else. Like, I don't want to know anymore, God. Like, keep them away. But Abraham, it's possible that Abraham would have known not just his dad, 
but his grandfather, not just his grandfather, but his great-grandfather, and his great-great-grandfather, and his great-great-great-grandfather. It's possible, just doing this math here, that Abraham would have been influenced by, would have lived with, would have known the hundreds and thousands of aunts and uncles and cousins and everyone crazy of his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. He would have known who Noah was. He would have known this. Why is this significant? It's significant because we learn in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, it says this, it'll be on the screen. Joshua's remembering the ancestry of Israel and he says to everybody, listen, here's what you need to know. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and they worshiped other gods. What's significant about this is Abraham was not born into a Christian family. Abraham was not born into a God-fearing family. His family was not known for following Yahweh. They weren't known for following God. His father worshipped other gods. Abraham worshipped other gods. His grandfather worshipped other gods. His great-grandfather worshipped... Time after time, generation after generation, Abraham's family would have been more known for not following God than for following God. They would have been known for worshiping idols, for worshiping other gods. Generationally, it wasn't just something where, hey, well, my dad did this and that's where I got it from. He would have been influenced by generation after generation after generation after generation. If you and I were going to take an objective look at Abraham's life and think, is God going to talk to this guy? Chances are no. No way. God doesn't talk to anybody in his whole family line. What's more than that is we'll learn that Abraham is 75 stinking years old by the time he goes and follows God's plan for his life. 75 years old. Would you think a 75-year-old who has generation after generation after generation of people who are disobeying God and not following God, you think that's the person God's going to talk to? You would be crazy, but that's exactly who God decides to call. It's exactly who God decides to call. Chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, when everything else looked like it wasn't going to point that way, when there was no reason for God to speak to him, regardless, disregarding all of what Abraham was in his whole life, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country and leave your father's family and go to the land that I'll show you and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I will, you will be a blessing to others. You might be the very first person of your whole family tree to ever step foot in a church. Do you know that? Like there's people in the room today or you're watching online. You're the very first person. I'm not saying this even in a joking way. You're the very first person to ever use the name of Jesus in a positive sense in your whole family's history. You're the very first person to pick up a Bible and, and look at it and want to know what it says. You're the very first person. You might be a person in here and you could say, man, but I don't know why God would want to use me. All I know is not following him. All I know is what I've done in my life that I'm not proud of. All I know are all my shortcomings. All I know are all the ways that I've disobeyed him. All the things I know is that I'm evil. I'm a jerk. I'm an idiot. I'm not nice. I'm a cheater. I'm an adulterer. I'm an addict. addict. I'm whatever. Like I'm all of these things. You might be thinking here, man, why would God want to talk to me. But God has a habit of calling people when they least expect it. 
God kind of makes a habit. I think he loves it. He loves calling you when you least expect it. If you think you're too far gone, if you think you're not good enough, then watch out because you're probably exactly the person God wants to call. In fact, later on in the New Testament, uh, there's a guy, David, he's a boy at this time, and Israel uh, needs a new king. This is the short form of the story, right? Israel needs a new king, and so the prophet or the priest Samuel uh, goes to this man Jesse's house, and Jesse has eight kids, uh, and, and Samuel says, hey, Jesse, bring your kids out. Uh, one of them's going to be the king of Israel. So Jesse brings seven of the kids out. Samuel looks at them and says, well, are they all here? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, they're all here except for David, right? Like this, this guy, he's just out tending the sheep. I didn't think he was important enough to bring here. He's the youngest. He's the runt. No one thinks anything good of him. Israel's choosing a king, and you don't even bring one of your kids in to be chosen for it. Like, man, you are not even almost the person God would call. Yet the runt of the litter is the one that God chose to be king of Israel. God chooses you and calls you when you least expect it. Later on in the New Testament, there's a man named Saul. Saul makes a profession out of arresting and killing the first followers of Jesus Christ. He's against everything that Jesus stands for. He's really good at stomping out. In fact, when Jesus was alive, his teaching wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. And it says that Saul was stomping out the way. Like, that's what he did. He was really, really good at it. And one day, he's on a horse, and he's trying to go somewhere else to conquer and destroy and put in jail and kill more Christians. And God says, you're exactly the person I want. I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to intersect what you're doing. And just when Saul least expected it, Jesus showed up in his life and said, I have something for you. I'm going to totally change the trajectory of your life right now. Even though you didn't do anything to earn it, even though you don't deserve it, even though everything you've done is against me, I have bigger plans for you. And today's the day when I'm going to speak something over your life. God has a habit of calling when you least expect it. I remember for myself, uh, I worked about six years at a church down in Pennsylvania that's maybe about, I don't know, 600, 700 miles away from here. And down in Pennsylvania, it was a good church to work at. I was a youth pastor there. Uh, but just over the years, I don't know if you've ever had a job and like you just kind of, you get unsettled and you think, is there something else out there? Is there something going on? And like you just, you look for another job or you just kind of test the market, see what's out there. But I remember as a, a young youth pastor, there were times when I just, man, was feeling unsettled and just wasn't feeling like this is where God has me. And I remember for a number of years, I'd feel like God was calling me to do something else. I'd say, God, I just, I want to get out here. I want to do something else. I want to go somewhere else, somewhere better maybe. And, and, and time after time, I would put an application out or I'd have an interview or I'd go in and I'd check something out. And time after time after time, it was just no, 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 no. About six years in, there's a point where I just said, you know what, God, I just give up. I don't know what's going on. Obviously, you're not moving me out of here. Obviously, you don't want me to go anywhere else. So I'm going to just do this, God. I'm going to commit this life to you right here at this place where I'm at. If you don't ever move me, I'm okay with it. And as luck would have it, the house across the street from the church I worked at came up for sale and I bought it, right? Legit, you looked out my front window and there's the church, right there. And, and 
it was like not even one year after moving into that house. Now, here's the thing. I like, I settled, like I was in, I brought fruit trees. I was like growing apples. I was growing peaches. Like those things don't like grow in two weeks, right? Like blueberry, all sorts of stuff. I just like settled in. I had a dog. I had a son, man. Like we were just, we were in. And wouldn't you guess, not even a year after buying that house, my phone rings and Pastor Brent's on the phone. And he says, I have an opportunity for you. Man, God calls you when you least expect it. God has a way of doing that. You want to know how to follow God's plan for your life? Then start looking for him to speak when you least expect it. The second principle Abraham's story shows us about following God's plan for your life is that you need to not let distractions delay you. Don't let distractions delay you. Genesis chapter 11 tells us that Abraham's dad, his name is Terah, decides one day to pack up the family and move from their hometown. I'm going to point like here. This is Ur. This is in the, the east. So Ur, his hometown. And he says, we're going to go on a little family field trip. I want to go to Canaan, which is over here. And to get to there, there's a big desert in between. So Tara says, let's get the family up, hit the car, let's go. And they're going to start walking up around the desert. The Bible says that Tara and his family go up to the city of Haran. And as they get to the city of Haran, about 600 miles away from their hometown. I don't know how many months this would have taken to walk. I don't know how many months, but just many months of traveling, of just being unsettled. They want to go to this new place. They settle in this city of Haran. They get to the city and dad says, you know what? On second thought, let's just stay here. Let's not go all the way. Let's not go the whole way to where I wanted to go. Let's, let's stay here. And there's a lot of reasons for that. In that city, they worship the same God that they worship down in Ur. And so maybe it was comfortable. Maybe they liked living in that metropolis as opposed to wandering. I don't know what it was, but dad says, let's settle right here. Let's don't go any farther. They don't go all the way. It's what their family's known for, actually. Just being a bunch of settlers. And in verse 32 of chapter 11, it says this. It says, after they stopped in Haran... Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. And then chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Here's one of the things I need to kind of just untangle this for you. And it's one of those, like, this is a really, really old book, thousands of years old. And people in the ancient world had a different way of writing down histories and different way of writing down uh, people's stories than we might today. And what's significant for us to understand is this, that even though... Terah had taken his family up to Haran. Chapter 12 is significant that it says, now God had said to Abraham, go and leave this country. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. Chapter 11 of Genesis is going to focus on Terah's story and how it ends. And it's not going to pick up anything about Abraham that might have happened during Terah's story until that story's done being told. Does that make sense? And then chapter 12 starts, hey, let's now talk about Abraham. The ancients had a way of finishing one person's story before starting the next person's, even if some of the facts kind of intersect each other. And what's important to understand is this, that even though Terah was leading his family up to this city of Haran, actually God spoke to Abraham before they even left. 
And you can see this in the book of Acts. There's a guy, Stephen, and as he's kind of debating the faith with people, he says, you all know this, that Abraham was called in the city of Ur before they ever left to Haran. Genesis 12, 1 says, now God had said to Abraham, at some time in the past, before they were ever in that city, God said to Abraham, leave your father, leave your native country, leave your relatives, and go to the land that I'm going to show you just happens that after God said that to Abraham, Abraham didn't listen. And then dad had some little dream in his head that we're going to take a family vacation. And so Abraham follows with his dad up to this city of Haran, still not following God's plan for his life. Abraham's not really listening to God when he says, leave your family, leave your uh, country, leave all this stuff. He's not really doing it. He's just allowing his dad to kind of take him wherever he's going to go, even though God said this to him in the first place. And when they get to Haran and Terah decides to settle there, Abraham decides to settle too. Even though God had said to Abraham, I have something more for you. I have something better for you. I have something else I want you to follow. He sort of halfway follows God's plan. When dad decides to call the trip short and settle, he settles. He never really answers God's call for his life. For Abraham... He wasn't willing to give up the thing that God asked him to leave behind. He wasn't willing to, to put aside the thing that would distract him. In fact, what's kind of interesting is if you look at the word Terah, Abraham's father, the word Terah in Hebrew means delay. What a bad name to have, man. Like, come on, like, for real, mom, you could name me something better than that. Delay. Abraham, in a very real sense, takes this delay with him on his journey. You see that? And because he doesn't want to give up on his family, he doesn't want to put dad aside, he doesn't want to totally follow God's will for his life, he's unwilling to go the whole way, to do exactly what God said. God will not allow him to go an inch further on the journey until the distraction is gone. God won't let him go any further until dad's gone, until the delay is out of the way. There's no way around it. If you want to know how to follow God's plan for your life, you need to not allow distractions to delay you. So many of us are guilty of this, aren't we? I am. I know that for myself. I might hear God say something that he might want me to do, and I might say, God, well, that's an incredible thing. I would love to do it, but I don't know if I'm willing to give this up. God, I would love to follow you into this area. I'd love to do this great thing for you, but God, do I actually have to do it that way? Why can't I do it another way? Why can't I just stay comfortable the whole way doing it and not actually exercise any faith? God, why do you want me to give all of these things up? Why do you want me to leave distraction to the side? Why won't you let me go into what you have just the way I am? We might get a glimpse of something we thought God wanted us to do, but when it comes down to the time to do it, we choose to settle instead sometimes, don't we? I know I do. For some of us, distraction looks like settling for good enough instead of going after God's best. I mean that in a real way. Like, settling means good enough. Like, hey, you know what? I've got money in the bank. I've got a family who, not, like, things aren't falling apart right now. I've got a house. I'm doing pretty good. So you know what, God? Even though you might have something better, and I have dreams sometimes you want to do this, or someone says to me, God wants to use you like this, God, I'm actually pretty happy where I am. 
And I'm going to settle. I don't, want distra- I don't want to put aside any of these distractions. Sometimes it looks like only going so far in your faith, but being unwilling to go the whole way. For some of you, it looks like, hey, you know what? I'm good accepting Christ, but you know what? I'm never in a million years ever going to be baptized because then people might talk to me about it. Then people might say something. And you know what? God has a blessing for you on the other side of it when you take steps in your faith. But until you take those steps, God's not going to let you go another inch. Until you lose the distraction, God's not going to take you another inch into what he has for your life. Some of you, distraction looks like keeping the status quo. Or not rocking the boat with your family. Or not rocking the boat at work. Or not rocking the boat with your spouse or your loved ones. Because you don't know what they might say if they knew what God said to you. You're afraid of the conversation that, hey, you know what, honey? I feel like God's asking us to do this. Because you're afraid of that conversation and you're distracted by it, God's never actually going to give you the opportunity to do it. What's keeping you right now from going after God's best for your life? I wonder what that is. What's the thing in your life, just answer this for yourself, what's the thing in your life right now that you would love to see God do in your life? You'd love to see him do through you. Man, like God, if you could use me in any way, man, here's just where I'd love God, you could use me like this. What's that thing that you would love to see God use you to do, but every time it comes time to take a step in it, You get scared and you settle. If you want to follow God's plan for your life, then you need to not let distractions delay you. The third principle we learn from Abraham's life is this, is that you need to remind yourself to remember what he said. This is so important. Man, you need to remind yourself to remember what God says about you. Terah dies in Haran, this city. And it's not until Terah dies that Abraham finally says yes to God's plan. It's not until that distraction's gone that God is able to move him on to his promise. And so he and his wife and his nephew and all the stuff they own and all the things they've accumulated head another 400 miles from Haran into Canaan. Abraham's now a thousand miles away from his home, a thousand miles away from the place that God said at one time, I have a plan for you. I'm going to make you great. You got to leave all this stuff behind. Go to a place I'm going to show you. A thousand miles. I don't know how many months or years have passed since God said that to Abraham, but he's far removed from that moment. He's far removed from it. He's got no dad anymore around him. He doesn't have any sense of security going on with him as he walks into God's promise for his life. He doesn't know his dad is there. He doesn't see his great-grandfather or his great-great-grandfather or all of that. He doesn't have any of that system in place. It's just him and a promise he heard how many years ago, how many miles ago. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, it says, that Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. And there he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morah. And now at that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And so Abraham built an altar there and he dedicated to the Lord 
who had appeared to him. See, Abraham finally arrives in the place that God asks for him to go. He followed God's plan. He finally did it. He actually stepped out and he walked into God's promise for his life. And when he reaches that goal, he's all alone. A distant memory. He's all by himself. It's just him and his family. He's all by himself. And when he gets to that place, when he gets into God's promise, I have to imagine it isn't everything he thought it would be. There's no house waiting for him. There's no like red carpet rolled out for him. There's no stocked fridge for him. There's nothing. In fact, what he finds when he walks into the place that God promised him is that a whole other people group has already lived there. That people already spoke for it. The promise is already taken up. It's already spoken for. You're too late. Someone else is already here and you're outnumbered, man. What are you going to do? Have you ever thought that you were following God's plan for your life? But when you started following it and you got to where you thought God wanted you to go, it seemed more like a problem than a promise. You ever had that? Like, God, I thought I heard you right. God, I thought you told me to do this. God, I thought you told me that I need to take this job. I thought you told me that I was supposed to make this decision. God, it was your idea, not mine. But now that I'm in it and I said yes to you, why does this stink so bad? Why is this so hard? Why is it so tough? God, I actually wish I wouldn't have heard you in the first place. Are you even real? Did it even happen? Is there anything to tie me to this thing? I have to imagine Abraham was thinking this. Because we see that he sets up a camp and the area is inhabited by these Canaanites. And just at the point where doubt and despair might be creeping in, that's exactly when God shows up and he says, no, 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 no. I promise this to you. I promised it to you. This will be your land. And I just imagine Abraham in that moment, that I don't know if God talked to him in the between those two times, but as the Bible tells us, he talked to him years and a thousand miles ago, and this is the next time God shows up in his life. And I just imagine if I was Abraham, I'd be like, wait, God, before you go, I need something to keep me here. I need something to remind me that you just showed up. I don't know if you're not going to show up again. I don't know if I'm going to hear your voice again. I need something to tie me to this moment so that after your voice is gone, I can look at this thing, I can have this thing in my life, and I know that you actually said something to me. And so Abraham builds an altar at that place. And an altar in the ancient world was used for a few things. An altar, all it is really, is picking up some stones and piling up into a pile. You do it a certain way. We don't got to get into it, right? But you, you pile them up a certain way. And that altar in the ancient world would have been used to offer a sacrifice to God. It would have been used as a place to worship God. But Abraham's using it in this case in a really interesting way. He's using it as a way to commemorate or remember a significant time when God showed up in his life. He said, you know what, I know that God might not talk to me again about this. I don't know when I'm going to hear him next. So I need something physical. I need to physically make something so that even if I forget it, and the next time I doubt it, and the next time I'm scared, I can look to this very real thing that I made, and I could say, just because this is real, I know that that moment was real. And he can be tethered back to that time when God spoke over his life. This might sound strange to you, but we do this all the time, don't we? We do this all the time. You and I, next time we get together with our family for Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, all that, we're going to gather our family around. We're going to take a picture, probably, right? 
And you guys have albums at your house where you could take this out and you could look back at family pictures over the years. And I love it myself. I love looking at an old family picture and opening this thing up and being like, oh man, I remember Uncle Bobby and I remember my grandmother and that was such an awesome time. And this very real picture takes me back to a time when that was real. Does that make sense? You and I do it all the time. Man, we do it when we're on vacation. We buy a spoon or we buy a shirt to remind us of the burger we ate at that place. Like, we humans crave making a memory of something, don't we? We crave it. You save a note from a loved one. You save a birthday card. There's these things that when you take a look at them, it ties you, it tethers you to something you can't see anymore. We do this all the time as people. We have a need to tether ourselves to something that's a memory. It's no different in our relationship with God. It's so important that we find ways to remind ourselves of the times God speaks over our lives. It's so important that when you hear God speak, you do something that forces you to remember what he said. It's so important for us to do that. Why? Because when we start actually following God's plan for our life, when we hear him speak, when we don't expect it, and when we set aside the delays and we walk out in faith and put everything else aside and it's just you and me, God, all I know is you promised me and all I know is I'm walking in a direction I've never walked before. It's inevitable that we're going to begin to doubt it. It's just human that we're going to start walking in it. And because it's uncomfortable and we don't know how it's going to work and it's unknown and there's question marks. See, God said, go to a land I'm going to show you. He didn't even tell him where he was going. And Abraham started walking in it. And as doubt creeps in, we need something physically to be able to look at and say, you know what? I'm doubting this right now, but I don't doubt this thing that reminds me that God said it in the first place. We need to be able to remind ourselves to remember what God said. I don't know what that looks for you. For me, it looks like this. I have this little pile of rocks here on this table. You, this rock means nothing to you, but it means the world to me. And here's why. When I moved up to Canada five years ago, uh, I left the land of my forefathers and I left my inheritance. And I, you know, I did the Abram thing, I guess. I don't know. But I moved up here. I heard God calling me. Brent got on the phone and said, hey, you have an opportunity. I said, okay, God, what is it? And we said yes. And so I came up here and moved into a rental space in Canada, just borrowing someone's house. We were here three months, not even three months. We were here just shy of three months. Uh, and I had already committed to that summer going to the camp in my hometown to go and speak at a church camp, right? And so three months of living in Canada, we don't have our stuff yet. We're living on someone's floor. This is like not an ideal situation to move into. You ever have a move and it's not going the way you thought it would go, right? Like that's just what it was. And three months after being in Canada, I drive back down to my hometown. And I drive back down to where my dad is and where all my relatives are and everyone likes me and everyone knows me and everyone's rooting for me. And I go to this camp that I grew up at. Like, I accepted Christ at that camp. It was such an important spiritual place in my life. I mean, it's just, you can't convince me otherwise. It's just that God's real to me in that place. And I went to that camp, and I'm sitting up by a campfire place before I'm supposed to go speak to a bunch of teenagers. And I'm just kind of wrestling with God, and I'm like, God, I'm really struggling right now. Why did you call me there? Why'd you do that? Man, I'm homesick. 
I just want to go home. I just want to be done with this thing. I wish you wouldn't have done it in the first place. I don't know what you're asking me to do, God. Are you real? Did you actually mean this at all? I'm supposed to go and talk to people about God, and I'm struggling with God, right? And I'm like, God, what's going on with this thing? And I'm sitting at that campfire, and I just hear God say, do you remember when I called you in the first place? And I did. I remember exactly where I was when God said, I want to do something with your life. I said, yeah, God, I remember that. He said, you trusted me with that, right? I said, yeah, I trusted you with that. He said, well, why would you doubt that I would do something different now? Why do you doubt that I would call you to do something that I don't have plans for you in? Why would you doubt that, that I would now abandon you and make you make a stupid decision and move everything away just to find out it was a mistake? Why would you doubt me in that? And I was looking down at the ground and I saw these rocks and I felt God just say, I want you to pick up this rock. I want you to take that back home with you. And I want you to just put it on a shelf. And when you look at this thing, if you're doubting if I called you to this, if you're doubting that I have anything to do with your life, if you're doubting that you heard me at all, or you're tempted to think this wasn't real, look at this rock. And just as real as this little piece of rock from nowhere, Pennsylvania, as real as this is, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this conversation was real, that I'm real, that I actually called you to it. So I picked up the rock, put it in my car, went back to Canada and put it on my shelf. Man, I've looked at this rock many times. In fact, every time I go back down to Pennsylvania, it's kind of a thing now. I'll just say, hey guys, I gotta go and do this. And I'll take a night and I'll go to that camp and no one's there and I just kind of sit up there at that fireplace and I say, God, are you still calling me to this? Yeah, and I'll pick up another rock. And I'll pick up another rock and I'll pick up another rock. And every time I go down to Pennsylvania, I got a stack of these now in my office. It's just one more time where I can say, God, I need something real. I'm gonna doubt this, I know it, I just know who I am. I'm gonna doubt that you're speaking, I'm gonna doubt that you did this. But I need something that reminds me of what God said. I know I was called to do this. I know God called me to do it. And when I doubt it, I can just look at this thing. What is it for you? I don't know if for you, maybe it's something where you need to journal something. You need to get a piece of paper out and you need to be saying like, God, you spoke to me in this prayer. You spoke to me at church. I need to write this down. I need to not forget it so that I can look back at it a time later and I could say, yep, that actually happened. Maybe for you, you need to take a picture of something. Maybe it's your baptism. Maybe it's something where you need a picture of something, a baptism t-shirt, a King's Church shirt, for goodness sake. I don't care what it is. Something that ties you to a memory of when God spoke because as you walk out this plan God has for your life, you are going to doubt it. And if you don't have something that reminds you that God was real and said what he said, then you're good as dead. You're not gonna make it. You need to remind yourself to remember what he said. When it comes down to all of this, though, like all this talk, this whole message, when it comes down to it, really, though, it comes down to faith. It comes down to faith. And that sounds so simple and so churchy. Listen, I wish, I honestly wish it would be different. I wish it could be different for you. I wish it could be different for me. I wish that it didn't take faith to do this, but it takes faith to do any of what we're talking about here. It takes faith to believe that there's a God. It takes faith to believe that there's Jesus. It takes faith. It's a matter of your faith. I wish I could tell you exactly how God's gonna talk to you. I wish I could tell you at seven o'clock tonight, God's gonna show up and he's got a word for your life. Listen up, be ready for it. I wish I could tell you, no, that wasn't God. Yes, that is God, do this. I wish I could tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. I wish I could tell you the distraction you have in your life so you could get rid of it, but I can't. It's a matter of faith. And while there isn't anything special about Abraham at all, 
Nothing special about him. The one thing he did consistently again and again and again is he had consistent faith in God. He consistently stepped. He actually stepped out and did what God asked. That's the only thing special about him. The only thing he did that has him being the father of everyone who believes, the only thing he did that had him being a friend of God is Abraham had this dogged, persistent, you ask me, God, to do it, and I'm going to step out and do it. Even if it takes him a while, even if he settles along the way, even if he messes up a bunch, Abraham had consistent faith in God to step out time and time again. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham's faith is what made him righteous before God. Like the thing that got God excited about him or said, this is a guy to look at, was his faith. It wasn't anything else. It was his ability to say yes. Faith is the decision to place an uncomfortable amount of your life in God's hands, even if you're unsure about what's going to happen next. Faith is that decision to place an uncomfortable amount of your life in God's hands, even if you don't have the answer of what he's about to do with you. Even if you don't have the answer, even if you don't know where it's going to go. Abraham wasn't special. He just knew enough about God to know that he could trust him with the stuff he didn't know. The measure of your active faith, the measure of your active faith, the actually stepping out and doing it, not just believing something. The measure of you stepping out and following God's plan for your life is the measure to which you'll experience God's best. What are you needing faith for today? What do you need faith for? Where are you at in this journey? Like, what's God have you doing with your life that right now you j- you're struggling with it and you're doubting it and you're not sure of it and you think that this just isn't even real? You don't, did God even talk to you in the first place? What do you need faith for today? What step is God asking you to take? And you're just not sure you have enough faith to take it. See, God has amazing plans for you. God has amazing plans for you. If you were just, if we had some way to reveal all the plans God had for us in this room, we would be blown away by the significance God is calling out of this room. He has significant plans for you. Plans that'll blow your mind. Plans that'll change this world. Plans that'll change your family. Plans that'll change New Brunswick and Canada and the rest of this world. He has all of those plans, but we aren't gonna go another step towards it until we step out in faith. Say, God, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to put distraction aside. I'm going to have something that reminds me of this. And I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to do what you asked me to do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, right now, God, I just ask that faith would rise up in this place. God, many of us, myself included, God, we struggle sometimes. We don't know exactly where you're leading us. We aren't sure if what you called us to is what we're actually doing, God. We don't know what's next, God. But right now, I do ask that in Jesus' name, faith would rise in our hearts. Not just a faith that we believe in something, but a faith that causes us to take a next step. A faith that says, even though I don't know what's happening next, I'm going to step out and I'm going to go into that land that God is about to show me, even if I don't know where it is. So Lord, would you speak to us loud and clear? I ask in Jesus' name that those watching online or here at our Valley Campus, Lord, today you'd speak to them when they least expect it, the moment when they think they're counted out. Heavenly Father, would you speak to them so powerfully they just get it and they understand that your voice is with them, your hand is on their life, and you have significant things for them to do. Lord, give us grace to leave things to the side and not be held back by anything that gives us comfort in this life, God, but to go full on to what you have for us, for your glory and your honor. 
so Jesus in this place would faith rise? Would we be a conquering people? Would we be a victorious people? Would the story of our lives be Jesus has made us victorious and Jesus has made us great? We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen.